Hi, welcome to Teeny Talks. My name is Teeny Fadzilla. I'm from The Coach Partnership and I'll be your host for today. So today we have a really interesting guest. His name is Chalmers Brothers. And I first met Chalmers through his book, so I actually didn't meet him in person until much later. And it was your book, uh, Language and the Pursuit of Happiness, which really, it, it was required reading in the coach training program that I was in. And it really helped to articulate, reinforce some of the basic fundamentals that we were learning. And I call it basic basic fundamentals, but basic fundamentals that really expanded how I saw myself, how I saw the world. And so I'm so thrilled that you agreed to join us today. Um, So beef. Yeah, it's, it's, and just for all of you guys who are listening or viewing to know that he's, that Chalmers is actually, how do you call it? Beaming in? I'm from Florida. In, yeah, from Florida, from the U.S. So it's um, morning for us, it's evening for him. So before we launch into some very interesting questions around the impact of the body, emotions, language, and today in particular, the impact of that on leadership and organizations and teams, yeah, I want to do a brief introduction of Chalmers. All right. So Chalmers is a best-selling author, certified personal and executive coach, consultant, seminar leader, and speaker. He had a 36-year career focused on leadership development, workplace culture, productivity, and accountability, teamwork and clarity in communication, emotional intelligence, trust, and relationship building. His books, Language and the Pursuit of Happiness and The Language and Pursuit of Leadership Excellence, have both been adopted by the leadership coaching programs on a global scale. I'm also really proud to say that he's our senior training faculty member in the Coach Partnerships New Field Ontological Coaching School. And as I mentioned earlier, he is uh, based in Florida in the USA. All right. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You are most welcome. I'm thrilled. So here's my first question to you. What, what brought you into this work in the first place? You know, I was married for one year in Louisiana, where I grew up. And my wife and I uh, have some very good friends and they went Tinny, to a weekend workshop and they would not be quiet. When I say they would not be quiet, I mean, they would not be quiet. You guys got to go. You guys got to go. Here's, here's where my mind went. Number one, at that point, I was 25 years old. Number one, I'm not really sure what a workshop is. Number two, I'm pretty sure I don't need one. And number three, if I haven't heard of it already, how good can it be? So I was extremely arrogant, Tenny. I didn't, you know, I, I was just so convinced. And they finally said, look, we will pay for y'all to go. And if you don't think it's worth it, don't pay us back. Well, they got my attention. And we went, and it was a little company, Tenny, called Education for Living. And it was an introduction to the world of ontological coaching. And this was 1987. And so, you know, coaching really wasn't a thing at that point. And that workshop didn't teach us to be coaches. It wasn't a coach certification program. It was our first time being coached. Mm -hmm. And it just changed my world. There's just nothing else I can say. And I, you know, Tini, I actually thought at that point in my life that the way I saw things was the way they were. I mean, I was completely convinced that I was objective. 
And all of a sudden, things that I was pretty certain about, I started not to be so certain about. And it just led me to additional programs with the same little company. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I found my way to the New Field Network in 1995 Mm -hmm. and did the Mastering the Art of uh, Professional Coaching program there. And that was where I, because I took that course there knowing I wanted to do this in the business world. Meaning my, right. my history, uh, I have a consulting background. And so I've been involved in organizational work, leadership work for a long, long time. And by that point, I had left Anderson Consulting, which turned into Accenture, very large consulting firm. I had left them, Team and I was working for myself. And I knew, um, I knew this is what I wanted to do with my career. And so when I finished uh, the MAPC in 95, I hit the ground running in 1996. I was a whirling vortex of distinctions. Oh. <laughs> I, I couldn't. I, I couldn't. Um, I couldn't talk about anything without wanting to talk about everything. If that makes oh. any sense, right? It does. I didn't to have. Me. I didn't have courses or modules or programs. I was just a a mass, a fountain of of stuff. And I, it took me, if I'm honest, it took me about a year to get a coherent half a day offering or two or three that I could actually offer in the, in the business world. And so I've been doing programs uh, inside organizations and only this teaming along with the related coaching part of it. This is all I've been doing full-time since 1996 is these, these programs uh, almost always with leadership teams yeah. inside organizations, often with employee teams as well. But usually I, 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 I've already worked with the leadership team before I get to the employee teams. Yeah. Um, and it's sharing, it's sharing these distinctions, right. For, to help leaders become more powerful observers of themselves and their organizations and you know, to help them be more successful in their organizations. So for listeners, don't worry, we are going to jump deeper into the whole leadership piece, but I have a question first before we go there, and I'm going to ask us to rewind a bit or backtrack a bit. I'm curious if you can recall, having done that first um, program, what what were some of the immediate shifts that you saw for yourself? I thought my relationship with my wife at that point was a 9.5 out of 10 meaning we were copacetic in every way. We've been married a year. We were doing great in every way. I realized, Tenny, it's a 9.5 if 10's right here. But what if there is no 10, right? What if, what if I had artificially limited the single most important relationship in my life? And here's the kicker. I was unaware I was doing that. That cost me about two hours in my head. It was like, holy cow. I also... Um, really two other things. Um, at, at the, I, I realized in that program that I had a lot in common with a 73 year old African-American grandmother who was in the program. And at that point in my life, I didn't think that way. All right. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know? Uh, and finally there was a forgiveness process that we did on Saturday night in the in, in weekend workshop mm-hmm. and Tinny, there was the lady and it was very emotional for all of us, sure. but there was a lady in the program. I didn't recognize her on Sunday morning. She didn't look the same. Her body was mm-hmm. different. Her mm-hmm. face was different. And, you know, and so I learned about resentment and I learned about the power of 
forgiveness, right? And it was like this giant, you know, and all of this, I didn't know that I didn't know, right? Yeah. This entire body of work was off my radar screen. I was completely blind. I didn't know anything about anything. And all of a sudden, after one weekend, a lot of the stuff I was really, really sure about, I'm not sure about anymore. Right. right. And, and it had the effect of really those three things. I started having internal conversations of, you know, maybe there's other stuff I'm real certain about that maybe I don't need to be quite so certain about. Right. And it, it kind of, you know, but it, it had a terminal crack in my, a crack in my terminal certainty. Right. And all of a sudden that crack, uh, I just started doing other programs that I was really, I was really struck. Um, it, it, you know, it was amazing. I, I've been through it myself and um, I'm just, uh, and, and envisioning some of our listeners or viewers going, what? A crack in my certainty. <laughs> my certainty is what keeps me stable and therefore productive. So I'm just curious if we can just sidebar a bit. What would you say yeah. to people who are listening or who are obs- uh, watching us right now um, around that statement? How, what is the relationship that can have someone who holds on to their certainty as their stabilizer? Um, how can this make sense to them? And so I think it's a both and not an either or, right? I think it's both and not either or, meaning I really think that that we live in a time of ongoing change. And because we live in a time of change, then learning is important, right? So what you triggered as you asked me that was what we're talking about is adult learning, right? I mean, how do we learn as adults? And that there's a, a I don't know, I, I I didn't see it so clearly back then, but if we are not continually learning and, and by learning, you know, acquiring new distinctions, right. Being, being a more powerful observer um, and really a more powerful observer of ourselves, you know, that, that certainty. Yes. I, I, yes, I'm still the same person I was back then, but, but I'm in many ways I'm not right. I mean, I'm, I'm not the same observer I was when I was 18 years old. I don't, I'm not the same observer. I think I'm going to be another 20 years you know, from now Yes, there's a stability to my personality, and I, I like that, right? But I, but the older I'm, I've gotten, Tinny, the older I've gotten, I've been less um, attached to that, and just more, just trusting that whatever stability I need is always going to be there. But I'm more, you know, I've met so many people in, in working with you guys and working with other people. I've learned so many things that some of the smartest people I know in my life have big areas of doubt and uncertainty. Yeah. Right? You know, some of the most wise beings I've met on this planet have some mystery in their lives about, about yeah. some of these, right. About what's really going on. I mean, when, I don't know, I, I find it not too difficult to become in awe to just walk outside and look up at the stars at night and realize what exactly is going on. Mm. That we are spinning around, I don't know, we're spinning around in the middle of nowhere and able to have a conversation like this. And it's just awe-inspiring to me. So I don't yeah. know if that makes any sense, but I, um, I, am, I believe that, that ongoing learning, what, 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 what you guys are doing in your company, what we're doing together, uh, it's a type of learning 
that number one, I didn't know existed. Yeah. And number two, I think this type of learning, I think we need, Tini. I think we need it in our families. I think we need it in our companies. I think we need it on our planet. I really do. You know, the thing that comes to my mind as you're speaking is this, I'm going to call it a paradox where you have two hands. In one hand, I know what I'm certain about. And in the other hand, there's so many things. I mean, if we come just down to parenting, yeah. uh, you know, there's so <laughs> many. It didn't, my daughter didn't come with a manual. <laughs> no, mine either. Right? And so no. there's that, how do we as human beings navigate this paradox, right? Or holding two opposing um, narratives or conversations and still be productive. You know, I, yeah, I, I believe, I believe that it's more accurate to say we are human becomings, not human beings. Mm. Right. Mm. I really believe that, that. you know, we are in an ongoing process of becoming. And I tell people in my workshops, look, one of my agendas is you're going to leave this program a different observer than you are when you started. You will become a new observer. You'll be able to see, because we're going to share some new distinctions. You're going to see what you didn't see before in the domain of leadership, organizational communications, relationships, productivity, accountability. And because you see what you didn't see before, you're going to be able to do what you couldn't do before. And that to me is an explicit, you know, I learned the distinctions I learned around language, around moods and emotions and around the body. Those distinctions, Tini, completely shifted how I saw everything. Yeah. Myself, other people, right? The way that we build relationships, um, the role of leadership, all of that, those distinctions opened, opened my eyes to a new world. Yeah. Isn't that exciting? It's the same world, but all of a sudden (laughs) it just expanded. Okay. So let's, let's, Let's sidebar, well, not really sidebar, let's now take a, a road and go down this, this theme of leadership and organizations. Sure. My f- immediate question is, what are you noticing as a theme start to emerge um, as a result around leadership and leading in organizations as a result of the pandemic? Like, what do you know? And now we're in transition. I know certainly in Asia, yeah. we're in transition yeah. from a very restrictive life lifestyle to much more an expanded restrictions are loosening up. Um, I think, so what do you notice? Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of things. One, I think was already happening before the pandemic, and it is a marked increase in the importance and value of the purposeful creation of organizational culture. There's a dramatic, at least with my clients, a dramatic increase in awareness of how important it is to intentionally shape and steward organizational culture in ways that, you know, I've been doing this work inside companies for 36 years. Uh, I have had more conversations in the past five years, Tini, with leaders about the conscious and intentional creation of organizational culture as a competitive advantage than I've had in the first 31 years of my career combined. How Something is absolutely going on. And this was before, before COVID, but yeah. something... It has clearly been going on in terms of leaders, and this is across industries, it doesn't matter, importance, awareness of the importance of this thing called organizational culture on the health of their their organizations. Um, And I think there's a number of reasons for it. I think that there are many more organizations are using teams, right? So there's all these sideways, dotted line, influence relationships, 
that are more important. Collaborative activity is way more important, right? You know, doing stuff in a collaborative kind of way. I think a lot of companies are pushing decision-making. They're decentralizing decision-making. And so now we're in a situation where people closest to the action are making decisions because we can't afford the iterative approval processes that we used to have. Mm -hmm. And now people need to know why they're doing things because if they're expected to make decisions more on their own. And Tini, when we talk about why now we're talking about context, right? Mm. So to me, culture has to do with organizational context, right? It's the why. So what is the context I want to create as a leader? Absolutely. And how do I get the buy-in, right? Exactly. I, I believe this. And somebody taught me this years ago, leadership has gone from command and control to inspire and enroll. Right. Mm. And as a leader, you are enrolling me. And now we can get to language as a leader. You're enrolling me in your explanation of what's possible. Right. Hey, John, I think we can do this. This is how you fit into this team. This is how this is going to benefit this group of people. And this is how we can make a difference over here and over here and over here. Um, and to your point about the pandemic, especially, you know, I think with people so remote, I mean, I got introduced to the world of remote uh you know, workshops in a way I wasn't prepared for. Mm-hmm. I I had never done anything remotely until all this happened. And I, I did my best and, you know, to learn how to do it. And I did an awful lot of workshops in, in 2020 uh, remote and a lot of organizations were dramatically upended, you know, by this, what it tells me. And I think we know this is that it's even more important that we keep people informed and engaged, even uh, even if they're virtual, it's hugely important that they understand how they fit and that, that we can still leverage their their contribution over time. I mean, one of the things I believe that leaders are that that leaders need to be able to do is elicit creativity. I have a colleague I'm working with on another writing project. And he said, you know, of all the things leaders do. Leaders, leaders get paid or good leaders, hopefully get paid to elicit creativity. And how do you do that? Now we're talking about creating a space, right? Not physical, but creating a space or an environment where people can bring their best self to the table Mm. because creativity comes from ideas and ideas come from people that are motivated, not unmotivated. So how can we create a space where people can bring that, that energy and enthusiasm and innovation to the table? Um, and um, I'm curious then, what what have you noticed are some of the top barriers that leaders are confronted with to create this, to evoke or elicit this creativity? You know, I, I think the the leaders I get to work with, I'm it's a it's a lucky subset that I'm in because they're open enough to hire a guy like me to begin with, right? right. So they at least acknowledge that a guy like me maybe has something to offer. There's a lot of organizations I think that don't see the value in the sort of work that we're doing here or or may not see as much the value, you know, they're more process driven and more technical driven and more functional expertise and aren't, aren't seeing as much the input, the, the importance of, of culture or relationships or organizational context. And, and, you know, I think there's an expression success can be a learning disability, right? Mm, Yes, absolutely. Yes. Success can be a learning disability. And I think, you know, if a, if the leader doesn't watch it, he or she, if the ego gets in the way a bit, or if the, you know, if they get, 
some success under their belt, they can they can blind themselves to to new possibilities ahead. And right. And I I do I do think that that it is clear that change is perpetual. I yeah. mean, whatever we're doing, and so that as a blanket kind of undercurrent to what what we're doing, just I think emphasizes the value of learning, right? The, yeah. you're learning about ourselves, learning about relationships, learning about ways that we can create, you know, elicit creativity. Um, so I think one of the dangers for for leaders of, of any sort is this is this certainty, right? You know, we yeah. talk about observer action results, right? Not being yeah. not being able to do second order learning, right? Never right. ever questioning their never questioning their assumptions. Yeah. Never question you know, their presuppositions. The one thing I just want to highlight as we start to wrap this up is um, this is going to be a review for our uh, anyone who's listening who's familiar with our work. And for someone who's new, um, one of the main or some of the main areas we, we look at is the area of the body, the area of moods and emotions, and the area of language, and how all three of those domains play a very significant part um, in molding how I see my world and, and, and hence impacts the choices I make. So to be honest with you, um, our conversation with Chalmers today is we're not even scratching the surface. We're like <laughs> blowing on the surface, right? There's so much depth that we can go into, which probably would require another, uh, conversation. Um, but as we wrap this up, I want to ask you, Chalmers, what is it that you'd like to leave the listeners with? What do you want the listeners to, as they complete on this conversation, that they continue to question or dig a little yeah. deeper for themselves? The invitation is, and again, I was I was taught this in my, my Newfield program, and it's really at the heart of what I do. The invitation is to take a look that leaders in one in a major, major way, leaders get paid to have effective conversations. Leaders are conversational architects and conversational engines. And organizations, all organizations, Tinny, are unique and they're all the same. They're all unique and they're all the same. They're all composed of human beings who are coordinating action, right? Working together, but they're not coordinating action with magic. They're coordinating action with certain types of conversations. Mm -hmm. So looking at the conversational nature of organizations opens up a whole new world of a, getting some new distinctions around how can we have more powerful conversations? Because we're always having two different types of outcomes, a quantitative outcome, which is like productivity and success, and a qualitative outcome in terms of the culture and the relationships. So leaders always, it's about quantitative and qualitative outcomes but the actual energy that leaders bring to the table, they have, and of course, they bring their body to the conversations. They bring their moods and emotions to the conversations, but they are conversational engines. And looking at the conversations we require, the conversations we prohibit, and are there any missing conversations Ooh. in our most important teams? Are there missing conversations? But it's this conversational nature of leadership and conversational yeah. nature of organizations that really struck me when I was first introduced to it and is now the bedrock of all the work I do inside companies. Oh, I love it. You're, you've articulated it so powerfully and um, it just appeals to my own. I love working with leaders and I love working with the challenges that come with, in one hand, creating the quantitative results. And then how does that work together with the qualitative, the, the, the qualitative environment 
people eliciting creativity love it. So thank you so, so, so much. Um, well, thank you for the invitation. It's great being with you. Oh, our pleasure. We, uh, you know, me and Sari, who's sitting right across from me, just yes. totally love to hang out with you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have a wonderful evening. Evening for right? me. Yes. Evening yes. for you. All right. And we yeah, certainly yeah. will be in touch. That's beautiful. Okay. It's great being with y'all. Thanks again for having me. Thank you.